Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Happy Monday. I love Mondays. Let's get things started today with uh, letting you know that you can be the most popular person on your block or cul-de-sac by having a ticket to the exclusive studio event with Jeff Verdorn coming up November 21st, 7 p.m. right here on the University of Northwestern. Go to MyFaithRadio.com and you will see the um, the link to get tickets. Tickets are free. We're going to have a wonderful night of Bible study, fantastic dive into the hidden and heavenly truths of the parables of Christ. I think we're going to open up the doors at 6.30, come and have a sugar cookie and some caffeine. We'll sit down with our notebooks and our Bibles open and have a blast together. This is going to be wonderful fellowship. We will be recording the evening to be replayed later, but you will be part of a live studio audience, so it'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see you. Get your tickets today. They're going fast. So my friend Patrick Albanese will be joining me, and then Dr. Greg Borgon will be coming on in this hour. Hour two is going to be a full hour with uh, Dr. Ken Samples. We know him as a theologian and philosopher from Reasons.org. going to be a great day. I can't wait. Let's get things started. Be back in 60. I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio. This month, the focus is on Thanksgiving, and we're reminded to take a day to pause and give thanks for all of God's blessings. But I'm thinking of a growing group of people who deserve our gratitude every day because these are the friends who support us as ongoing monthly givers. Your steady giving allows this ministry to have a firm financial foundation month after month. Every day is Thanksgiving Day because of your partnership. And you can be an ongoing monthly giver by signing up today at MyFaithRadio.com. Finding hope in the Word of God. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Awfully glad that it's Monday, and you know Mondays always get things started with my friend Patrick Albanese, who is uh, from the great state of Iowa. However, today he is on the road. He is traveling through the great state of Minnesota. He is somewhere up in the International Falls area. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, I'm on the... It's so funny. Uh, I, I was telling my wife, I said, I'm doing the, the International Falls tour. And she said, what's a false tour? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's real. Yeah. It's very real. Now, your, your drive through Minnesota has reminded you that it is the land of 10,000 lakes, and you have seen a lot of beautiful bodies of water, haven't you? Oh, gosh. It just gets more and, and more beautiful and more and more sparse. Um, and, and, you know, you, you go through some 
some pretty rural areas where it's uh, a length of time before you see yet another dilapidated home. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think they have much paint up in these parts, mm-hmm. but I'm right near the Can- Canadian border. Um, I think I saw the processing plant just north of me. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. But it's also it's interesting as I'm driving, you know, hours of driving, not seeing a whole lot of civilization. You hit one small town after another and you go, you know, I bet these people don't really care about Ukraine, Russia, uh, you know, all these things that are being promised by politicians. I got a feeling they sit down and say, how do we take care of our little town? Our little town, and how do we get the big guys out of our way? Mm-hmm. Because, I, like driving through some of these, I think these people can't afford to do a minimum wage thing. They can't do fifteen dollars an hour hour in International Falls. They could shut down the di- the diner because if prices go up too much, they lose yeah their customer base, and they can't afford to do that. And the town can't afford to lose their restaurant. No, and so every and every business is a little business. Uh, you think, wow, it would have it would have a monstrous impact, and it would stifle an economy in a town like this, or towns like this. I mean, do people in those uh, small towns which, are are they upset that Donald Trump has had 188 tweets that had misspelled words in it? Uh, they are not. Yeah, I don't uh, think so. I, I think I think a majority said that's darn good. <laughs> actually, <laughs> that, that's some good spelling. Well, what I also love is is that, that was Brian Stelter from CNN. And and I love it. He puts out a, a news cast, I guess you could call that, you know, because he's so caught up in how much he just doesn't like Trump. But um, uh, did you get the thing I just sent you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. OK. So uh, he has in there. Um, how did he how did he phrase it? Why didn't uh, he just sent it to me? I, <laughs> I didn't read it. Don't expect me to look at that stuff. No, no. No, he said. uh Okay, this is perfect. So here's the newscaster who is, you know, better than Trump and my gosh, those Trump people. And his graphic behind him says 188 big numbers. And underneath it, it says number of Trump's misspelling errors. And I go, isn't a misspelling error spelled correctly? <laughs> I go, that's incorrect statement. A misspelling error? I mean, it was, you would have to say misspelled tweets, but instead he said misspelling errors. Yeah, I, I think that's a double negative, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, he should yeah. he should check that. He should have that checked. But in the meantime, he's saying he's got these misspelling errors. You go, you just misspelled that. <laughs> it's funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get back to Ten Thousand Lakes. I just read that blue spaces, uh, you know, like water, and time spent near water is one of the secrets to happiness. That. You know, especially coastal cities, but people that have access to being around water are simply happier people. That does not surprise me at all. Yeah, although, you know, I saw quite a few angry people in Santa Monica. So <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> That's true, too. I think, I, think, I think because in Santa Monica, what it costs to be through that calming water is a little bit nervous. In fact, my wife and I stayed there a couple of years ago, and I remember looking out at, you know, some of these condos that these people have facing the water and you see the lineup of cars leaving town, um, you know, 6 AM because they have to go to work in the city <laughs> to work 
12, 18 hours at a job to afford that beautiful view that they never get to see. Yeah, that's uh, so true. But I, I do agree that, you know, there was a place uh, where I used to like to just drive away from the city. I could get up into the mountains near a place called Mount Wilson, and they would have this park bench in the middle of kind of a forest preserve area with a running creek. And there was never anybody there. And I would go there and bring a book and I'd fall asleep on a wooden park bench. And it was the most restful, peaceful place I could find. I, I tried to go there as often as I could. Uh, and I haven't really found, you know, something that suffices year round in the Des Moines area because I don't like the cold. You know, I don't want to lay by a frozen creek. Mm-hmm. But I agree with the water. It's very, very soothing. What's interesting how God wired us because we never seem to tire of beauty. People will take a, a vacation to the sea and they will literally say, I can spend eight or nine hours a day simply looking at the water. Or I go to the mountains and I can spend 10 hours a day looking at the mountains. You never, ever seem to tire of beauty. No. I mean, I think it's especially helpful when you're on a vacation and you you don't have the hustle and bustle because you have nowhere else to go. You can take that day. You know, I, I found that when I was living in Los Angeles, if I made a trip to the to, to the beach, I quickly turned into Clark Griswold. <laughs> I go, okay, you know, we made it to the Grand Canyon. Ooh, look at the beauty. Okay, got to go. Yeah. And, you know, that was me. Uh, it was it was for some reason harder to enjoy it, uh, but I know when I've taken vacations, uh, we would go down to Captiva um, in Florida, for instance. And I think the first time my wife said, you know, planned a four day trip, and I said, what are we going to do? She said, well, just go to the beach. I said, this is going to be the worst vacation of my life. And I had, it was most wonderful. I said, I, I didn't know I could do this. I didn't know that I could just sit here for hours and be fine. Yeah. Well, one of the benefits of being in an environment like that is what, I, what I've heard called health by stealth. You're enjoying the outdoors and interacting and being in this environment just because you're, you are where you are. So you're outdoors, yeah. you're moving, you're enjoying, you're hiking, you're walking. And that alone is a, is a one-two uh, one punch. Uh, yeah. And, of course, the beauty on top of it, I think there's something that goes just right into your brain and says, uh, God's creation. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Because you say, this isn't, you know, isn't it amazing that as much as you can look at the things that, you know, humans build uh, and they're spectacular, but you go see what God made and you you say, it's those are the only things that are breathtaking. Mm-hmm. You know. Man can create beauty, but God creates breathtaking. Yeah. All right. Seems out we're on this health kick. I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, I want to talk about, uh, I think, about seven or eight rules that I read about over the weekend and we can chat about. Patrick Albanese is my guest. Normally, he is in uh, the great state of Iowa, the prestigious town of West Des Moines, but he's on the road today in International Falls, Minnesota. We'll take a short break and be right back. back to the show. Patrick Albanese is my guest, as he always is. On Monday, we chat about what is going on over the weekend. Patrick, we started mm-hmm. on kind of this uh, talking about health and wellness and being by the sea and enjoying some fresh air and getting out and having some movement. 
And a friend of mine I was with over the weekend, who lives in Maui, by the way, uh, he talked about a book he read yeah. called Younger Next Year, and it was talking about simple things to do that will help you live a very long, enjoyable life. And one was exercise six days a week for the rest of your life. That seems kind of simple, doesn't it? In other words, get out and move. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, an exercise and exercise, so to speak. Well, you know, if you try to schedule three days of exercise a week, you might only get one in. But if you say, I'm just going to do something every day, then you might get five in. Yeah, and I know you and I both like to do use the term non-negotiables. And I, I, I think, yeah, by scheduling, not even scheduling six days a week, I think if you just don't question it, uh, I, I think the, the, the sure bet uh, workout killer is waking up in the morning and saying, eh, do I feel like working out today? Right. Uh, which is slightly better than, you know, um, I, I, I think I'm going to try and get a workout in today. Because uh, those rarely happen. And, and uh, I, I think the proper thing to wake up is when am I going to work out today? Mm-hmm. Not if, Just but when. Assume it's, yeah, yeah, not if, but when. You right. know, it's, you, you, you don't negotiate, do I feel like brushing my teeth? I rarely do. It's, it's not necessarily an activity that just brings great pleasure, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, it, it certainly prevents pain. Right. Another one I thought was interesting was spend less than you make. I thought, well, that seems pretty common sense, but a lot uh, of the great wisdom is, in life is simply common sense. Spend less than I make is not in my budget, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, of course, another one yeah. was, uh, you know, be careful, quit eating garbage food. And when I say that, I, I think everybody kind of knows what garbage food is, and you can find ways to cut back on that pretty easily. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to, I think, say, I, you know, I'm going to eat 100% cleanly. But, gosh, if you could just limit it. Right. If, if, you, if, you, see, if you start with something simple and say, you know what, just stop doing the burger and fries for lunch. Uh, and turn that into, you know, a salad or, or tuna salad and start with, you know, one meal. And everybody has had to have had this experience. And I, I don't crave salads. I find them acceptable, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I, I rarely ever say, you know what I really, really am just craving right now is a big old salad. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah. But I do know that every time I eat a salad, the minute the salad plate leaves, I think I actually feel healthier for some reason, almost like my body is saying, quick, reward him with good feelings. So he does more of this because this is what we want. Yeah. And I'm, you've probably had that experience where you say, oh, gosh, I forgot how good a salad goes down. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's easy to you can even get a salad at McDonald's. It's surprising. Yeah. And how important? And you can have them. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you can have them throw a grilled chicken breast on it, and you might be surprised at how tasty it is. And you will honestly say, I just ate a relatively healthy meal at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. It's really doable. Yeah. And the other two that caught my attention um, was care, how that's important to live a good, healthy, long life. You need to care. And you'd have to read the book to learn more about what what they mean by that. But obviously... What the caring is, is being involved and taking, yeah. having compassion and empathy. And the other one was connect and commit. So in other words, be in community and commit and uh, say, yes, I will, you can count on me. I will be there. 
Yeah, I think uh, I, I used to have a philosophy, and it, 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 I should still have it. And the, and the philosophy was the answer is yes, you know, and, until I change my mind. <laughs> but when, when friends would ask me for something, I would say, you know, the default answer should be yes. Uh, because why, I, I, I should be willing to do things for my friends. And it's amazing. If, if you can't even do things for your friends, why would you ever do anything for a stranger in need? Um, you know, uh, within reason, you're going to get those certain friends going to say, watch this. This guy <laughs> always says yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's important not to overcommit. It's important to keep the main thing, the main thing in life, but, but just to care and then commit and connect. That's uh, a great reminder because you can become more and more isolated as you have your digital devices and your iPad and, and television and everything else that say it's easier just to stay home and be on the couch than it is to be out with people. Yeah. yeah. It, do you ever find yourself almost being selfish with your time for no reason? Like, you know, you, you spread yourself thin at times. We all do that. But then there are other times where someone might say they need help with something and you go, ah, that's two hours of my life. And I was going to do nothing. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing scheduled. Like, now I'm giving yeah. up doing nothing. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, you caught 52 salmon that day and, and somebody says, can I have a couple of those? You say, no, I'm just going to keep these right here on my back porch till I go through them. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it's you can't possibly eat them all. And, you know, at the end of a day, that day is spent anyway. I mean, those hours, you can't stock them up and save them. And so I, I have found myself I, I always have to check it. That I can, you know, be selfish with my time. My wife will sometimes say, "Hey, my mom needs a little help with, you know, something," uh, and I'll be like, "Okay, uh, oh gosh, how long is this going to take?" It's like, why is that my default reaction? My default reaction should be, "Okay, what do we need? Let's go." And you know, I still have to battle with the the old default reaction of, "Oh, hang, is this going to turn into two hours of my life?" And it makes me sad that I still, you know, sometimes default to that. And I, I, I am happy to say that I then have a nice chat with myself, which takes about 10 seconds and says, cut it out. Mm -hmm. Go do things for these people that do so much for you. Yeah. I'm trying to have good attitudes about things in life, you know? I like that. Unfortunately, I have a really bad attitude about having a good attitude. <laughs> so it's not working too well for me. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know that I know that I'm gonna have a better attitude, and then all of a sudden I got the worst attitude about me having to have a good attitude. You're gonna cheer up, darn it, right now. <laughs> oh, oh. So as I go back to one of the principles we talked about, the uh, spending less than you make. I was reading that last year Kanye West made 115 million and still ended up 35 million in debt. But fortunately, he got a 68 million dollar. Uh, return on his on his taxes so that helped he's been that worked uh, out pretty well. in the news quite a bit lately with his uh his new album which is all christian now and he's trying to make a difference for the kingdom and so it looks like over the weekend he had uh, a service where six thousand people showed up and a thousand people made a first-time decision for christ did, did you see the singing in cars thing he did on a plane no i didn't the, oh you'll have to to look it up i see it so james corden yeah i see it yeah yeah, it's it's really fun because the the whole plane gets involved. He's got a chorus back there, 
so it, it, it's uh, it's it's really fun. And I, I don't understand why, you know, people are, are jumping all over his case. I go, I don't understand why people care. You know, why do they care that Kanye has a Christian message that he wants to spread? People seem upset. They go, oh, come on. Let him do what he wants to do. I'm glad he got that tax return, though. Yeah. Well, he did, he did start to say things that were damaging to the Democrats in terms of policies that um, treated African-Americans a certain way. And and yeah. and he was speaking out against, you know, abortion. And that's that's going to rile up people on the Democratic side. Yeah, I, 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 I am sad to say that I think we live in a time where more than we realize is based on that one platform of the democrat party and that the you know the the desire for abortion is what propels them to try to destroy destroy republicans because you know the other issues yes but this one's the big one and uh so you got to admire a kanye for saying i'm a very successful person and this could these people are the ones that control media and i'm a media guy mm-hmm and I am going 100% against their most important, you know, their sacred thing. This is this is a very important issue for them. Uh, so that's bold. It is. And I find this interesting, too. Uh, in the news over the weekend, Patrick, there was an article on San Francisco, particularly the tech crowd. There is now, in San Francisco, more dogs than children. Holy moly. Yeah. Well, the tech crowd is thinking I would like fewer kids, and I love my pet, and that's their choice. But there's more dogs now in San Francisco than children. Well, I love dogs. I do too. But uh, you know, I didn't want to get a dog till I had kids to play with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, these tech billionaires—they kind of do it backwards. You know, they get the dog first, and then they then they get kids for the <laughs> for the dog to play <laughs> later. You know. Seems that the way it works. Yeah, it's yeah. just a little backwards. But, yeah, you know, it's kind of silly. Well, I appreciate it's, it's sad too. Yeah, I appreciate you chatting with me on the road, and I know that you've got uh, another week of traveling before you get home to your wife and kids. So I pray that yep. all that goes well and that you're safe on your journey, and you will uh, be home before you know it. And and please uh, to the listeners, I apologize for any misspelling errors that I made. During this broadcast, I, I counted nine, just so you know. Oh, so Not I'm bad. actually improving. Yeah, I'm improving. All right. Have a great week. Patrick Albany has been Thanks. my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back.
back to the show. Awfully glad to have Dr. Greg Borgon in studio. He is the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. You can learn more about that at heartofawarrior.org. He's written many books, and he's a regular guest on the show. Greg, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. We are chatting about redemption today, aren't we? Yes, we are. I'm very curious to see where we're going to start with this one. Well, um, maybe we can begin by me just reading a passage that kind of sets the tone for a very personal story of my own, some of which I'm ashamed of, and I'm just grateful that God brought it to conclusion in my mind. Um, I'd like your readers, if they've got their Bibles with them, to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, which is about the prodigal son, a passage that most people are familiar with that are in the faith. But it bears on the story I'm about to tell. Okay. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, that bears very close to my own story that I'm about to share with your audience. Seventeen years ago, Debbie and I were on a plane to rescue our daughter, who was pregnant with our fourth grandson, and to pick her up and three sons after her husband had abandoned them. We brought them home and took up 
the mantle of supporting our daughter and providing safety and security for the boys. We dipped into our retirement savings to build a 1,200-square-foot addition on our home and provide accommodations uh, for our extended family. My daughter uh, met a young man after the divorce with two children of his own, and they were married. They moved out and began a new life together. Sometime later, after a series of unfortunate circumstances, Debbie and I took physical and legal custody of our now four grandsons and began raising them as our own. My daughter and her husband saw their children as often as possible during those intervening years. While we were raising the boys, I'd regularly recount the damage their birth father brought to our family. He was a drug addict and during their marriage emotionally and physically abused our daughter and the boys through intimidation, anger outbursts, and abandonment. So I arranged an intervention for him at one, in one instance, but it didn't last long. He had put the family in debt. He left chaos in the wake, requiring Debbie and I to intervene frequently. I went through periods of despair, anger, resentment, and disappointment because of what he did to our family, and I can probably say even fits of rage. I'm not proud of this, but I'd fantasize about what I'd do to him if I ever saw him again. When convicted by God, I would attempt to forgive him in my heart, believing that forgiveness was choosing not to seek revenge. He paid no support for the boys. The financial burden was essentially, essentially mine alone. In my mind, he was the prodigal of the worst kind. As the years passed and the boys grew into young men, I was proud of how they turned out. I knew God had called us to be strategic parents to and for them, providing you know, spiritual guidance and, and uh, teaching them life skills so they'd be able to navigate an ever-darkening world. When Braden turned 18, the oldest of the four boys, his birth father contacted him, resulting in a request to visit him in California. I received word that he had turned his life around, supposedly repented before God, and began a spiritual journey of redemption. He rededicated his life to Christ. Hmm. He had reestablished a vibrant relationship with God. He was married now again and had two sons of his own with his new wife. He was also heavily involved in the church and now a worship director of all things, I thought in my mind. I was not at all convinced, however, it would last because I was still harboring ill will towards him. I believe there must be fruit befitting repentance, and I had not seen enough fruit. My wife once said, how much fruit do you need to see, Greg? Much to my dismay, Braden visited his birth father, and it was paid for by his birth father and his wife. Braden insisted he begin paying child support. Here's a boy 18 years old requesting that he pay up (laughs) before he would go. He did and has done so to this day, I might add. Braden asked his birth father all the questions he had pondered over the years and eventually forgave him. Braden asked his birth father um, the things that were plaguing his mind that caused anxiety in his life. Why did you abandon us? Why did you leave us? But he forgave him. He came home, of course, with stories of his birth father and how he was now living for the Lord and, and how he took full responsibility for the destruction of the family. So when Kieran turned 18, he too visited his birth father, asking his questions 
and forgave him, much again to my chagrin. <laughs> His visit was followed by Galen with similar results. So all three boys, except the one he had never met, his fourth grandson, forgave him. He finally reached out to our daughter, took full responsibility for what he had done to her and the boys, and asked for her forgiveness. She forgave him too. In each instance, I refused to forgive him. My wife said they had moved from the carnage, but I was still surveying the damage because I felt my role was protector of the family. So I'm still looking at the battlefield Mm -hmm. and all the damage, and my family had moved on. Well, several weeks before Debbie and I were to leave for Ireland this summer to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary, my grandson Galen informed me that my other grandson, Kieran, had invited him to his graduation here in the Twin Cities. I'd been spending a lot of time in the ward leading up to this revelation. I think God was preparing me for something I really didn't want to do. Sitting next to my wife, I told Galen to contact his birth father and invite him to stay in our home during his visit. Not only was my wife shocked, but Galen and Kieran were in shock. They both thanked me profusely for the gesture. Both in their own words told me that I was living out what I had taught other men. That wasn't convicting enough. Their birth father was stunned and surprised, never expecting any kind of reconciliation at all possible at this late stage. I told Kieran and Galen it was time to truly forgive. Something I should have done long ago. We wept together, the boys and I. When their birth father came to our home, I was at work. I told my wife, or he had told my wife, he longed to reconcile with me. When I got home, I told him, I understand you want to talk to me. That's all I said to him, Bill. <laughs> when we went down to my den where he then shared... Uh, about his journey, the damage he had done, taking again full responsibility. He asked for my forgiveness. I told him, you never ceased being my son. You were a prodigal son for a long time. Now you are my true son once again. I forgive you. Before he had a chance to respond, I left the room and came back with a gift box and handed it to him. He opened it, and inside was a ring and a robe. He cried, and I cried as we embraced. I told him, welcome home, son. Over the next three days, we had ample opportunity to talk and to reconcile. Family was whole again. Debbie and I left for Ireland with a tremendous weight lifted off our shoulders. I learned some lessons from that whole circumstance. One was God forgave me, who was I not to forgive him? Second lesson I learned, it's never too late or too early to forgive. The third one is no one is beyond redemption. And finally, you can move beyond the pain with God's grace. So that's my story, Bill, of redemption and reconciliation for my ex-son-in-law, who came home and is now my son again. Wow. Greg, that's really, really powerful. That's really something. Yeah. <laughs> you got to experience it. 
<laughs> no, I don't. I don't want you to have experienced it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a painful process all those years. As I watched these boys grow and thinking that he could have seen this in his sons. And he wasn't able to because of the choices that he made. Mm-hmm. And then the shame I felt for wanting to do to him things that no Christian should want to do and having to apologize and ask God's forgiveness each time I had those dreams or those fantasies. And then, you know, just like God had told Peter one time, sometimes you have to forgive 70 times 7, and we don't realize it's 490 times to the same person. Yeah. He had a sweet, broken, and repentant heart, though. Yeah, he did. And that... I could see it in his eyes, you know, as I looked at him and he was sharing his journey down in my den. I could see that he was deadly serious. And there had been several years of track record, the fruit that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. How would you have been able to forgive him had he not become the man he became? If he continued to live with bad choices, making more destructive choices and less connection with his kids? I think sooner or later, God would have gotten to the core of my being and said this was more about me than it was about him. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what um, he may have continued doing, I needed to release it because it was this burden. It was, call it a chain and ball around my ankle. Every day, Mm -hmm. every day I think about it. Yeah. And it just wore me down, Bill. Greg, safe to say that the degree to which you do not forgive is the degree to which you suffer. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's a big weight around your neck every day, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, if he had gone that way that you're suggesting, Bill, mm-hmm. the idea is that he was going to suffer the consequences of his own actions. But in my case, I had to release it. And I couldn't take responsibility for the, the choices that he made, but I could certainly take responsibility for the choices that I made. And for a long time, I was making the wrong choices. I don't think, had I not got into this very precious time I had with the Lord every morning and every evening for three months leading up to something I wasn't aware of or was unprepared for, Mm -hmm. that I would have been able to handle it the same way. And so it's not a matter, if if he had gone that same way in drug addiction and and the abuse and everything else... um, The fact of the matter is I couldn't spend any more precious time with that responsibility. That doesn't mean that I could forgive him and say, hey, welcome, come to dinner. In this case, it was was truly the case. We had this wonderful celebratory meal together. But that's not always the case with something when you're going through this. So what does that mean? It means that God can get you beyond the pain. It doesn't mean that... You may welcome them in your home again for the damage that they cause and will continue to cause, but it does mean that you can release them from your anger and release yourself from feeling the pain in such a vibrant way every single day. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest in studio. We'll take a little break and be right back. We're talking about redemption. What a powerful story we have just heard. We'll be back in 90 seconds.
oh boy, our stories of redemption powerful. And we just heard one from Dr. Greg Borgon, my guest here in studio. That's a life journey. It's been uh, many, many years, uh, Greg, that you had that story be part yeah. of your, your life. 17 years. 17 years, yeah. And the idea that... Well, it, that, that was that was when we got on the plane to rescue the, the family. So there was, was many more years, years before that. Yeah, 17 years ago is when we got on the plane. So the, the carnage and all the rest of it was happening well mm-hmm. before that. And, and a beautiful sacrifice was made on the behalf of you and Debbie and your wife. And you made all these accommodations to raise these children and did a spectacular job. You know, what hangs over me all the time in a positive sense is all the time I spend with men trying to teach them how to live lives of integrity and honor. And if the teacher doesn't take his own lessons and apply them to his life, shame on him, shame on me. Well, I get that, but cut yourself some slack. It's, it's when you're faced with your own reality and you have to be the one, it's not easy always. No, it's not. And it's not going to be easy for anybody else going through any even similar or related experiences. I mean, there are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be times when you're so angry and at times you feel shame for feeling the anger. And But we have a patient God. God knew the right time. Even though I say, you know, I should have done it earlier. God knew the right time. Had he not been dealing with me for three months in his word, and I'd go every day to his word, and I'd say, Father, teach me something I need to know. Is there something I need to confess? Something about who you are that I didn't know before. Something that I need to be the man you called me to be. So I'd always preface my devotions with mm-hmm. that prayer. And so as I was reading through scriptures, I think I'm, again, living proof that God's word doesn't return void. We may not be aware of it at the moment, but it weaves its way down into the core of our being, into the heart. And it manifests itself in full flower at the right moment because God doesn't sleep. He's always working behind the I'm sure he is working in the life of my ex-son-in-law for several years to prepare him for that moment. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, what I've always told men is that there is no victimless sin. Whatever sin you commit, even though when you think it's in private, Somebody is going to be impacted by it because it changes your attitude or your demeanor, how you treat other people. And then you talk about the overt sin that has immediate impact on people. So there's no victimless sin. So God is at work on multiple levels in multiple people's lives to bring about redemption and reconciliation because he's all about redemption. Redemption of my soul for the feelings that I had and what I was going through and what we had to sacrifice to raise these boys, which the way they've turned out, Bill, is just remarkable. Brings me to tears every time I think about it. The tragedy they came from and now, and they see their mom and dad regularly now because they're living in Minneapolis, St. Paul. As a matter of fact, two of the boys since they graduated have moved back in with their mom and dad. Mm. So we have two of them left. An interesting sidelight to this story, when my ex-son-in-law was in my home, Remember, he had never met his fourth son. Wow. Really? Yeah. How old is that fourth son? The fourth son is now 17. Oh, my. And he's on a high level of functioning autism, so he's a savant. He learned how to play uh, the electric piano. Mm -hmm. And his father is a, a savant who plays. That's why he's a worship director. So his father, his birth father, came down to his room. 
And, and of course, Lachlan didn't know how to respond. He didn't know what was going on. We had to alert him ahead of time mm-hmm. that his father was coming. And his father went down there and, and listened to Lachlan play. And he said to Lachlan, he says, can I play something for you? And he said, no. And then a day later, he asked his birth father to come and play something for him. <laughs> and that's when they connected. Uh-huh. And it was something beautiful, another beautiful thing that God brought about. Not only did he see his son for the first time, mm-hmm. but he finally connected with him. He had connected with the other three boys, but not this fourth wow. son. Wow. Powerful, isn't yeah. it? God's grace, God's so, mercy. Yeah. When, Greg, when you've got your, your, your head in the scripture and you're seeking God's wisdom, do you, rem- do you remember a time when there was real refreshment in God's word that just felt like he was moving you into a place where he needed you to be? Yeah. Or I mean, a passage of scripture that came so alive in your head that you just had one of those aha moments? Well, it was actually a, a, a scripture that I've been, te- I, I've taught multiple times, familiar probably to your, your Christian audience, and it's 1 Corinthians, uh, um, you know, about the passage of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 about love. Mm hmm. It says in that passage, nine things it is and seven things it is and, and four things it always is. And as I read that passage about unconditional love, I remember getting a lump in my throat. And I remember in my mind hearing these words in the first person, do you have unconditional love for those who have harmed you? Didn't mention my son-in-law's name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but talk about cutting to the quick. Oh, Yeah. And I was still rebelling. <laughs> you know, I was still rebelling. But I remember that time, and I didn't forget it. And so when I got that text message from Galen telling me about Kieran inviting his birth father to his graduation, and my wife was sitting at, on my left, and she had no idea what was going on. And I texted him right back and said, invite him to come and stay in our home. Wow. And then I turned to my wife and told her, and she says, you did What? Why did you do that in light of how you feel? I said, because it's the right thing to do, and it was a time to forgive. Dad. Right. And you don't forgive when you feel like forgiving, right? No. You forgive, and then you feel like... Because there was it. a tinge in me that didn't want to still do it. Oh, sure. I wanted to see more fruit, but that was just begging the question. It was putting off the inevitable, and God in his love and in his gentleness, instead of chiding me... Um, I think was alongside of me that compelled me to write that text message back to my grandson. Mm -hmm. And when he texted Kieran, who was out of the house at the moment, he came back in and Kieran was in in tears and thanked me again and again for doing that. So my ex-son-in-law canceled his hotel reservations, his rental car, and came to our home. And we had this huge family dinner. My daughter, her husband... Her ex-husband, all the boys around the table, just celebrating what God had done. Did you think about putting him in the basement bedroom that doesn't have heat? <laughs> no, I wanted to give him my bedroom after that. Oh, that's very but, sweet. Uh, but God was... Yeah, uh, and of course, Greg, not everyone can have these wonderful stories, and there's listeners that I know that feel a, a pang of, of sadness that that's not their story. Yeah. Encourage them, if you would, well, in the minute it, it, we have it's left. going to come. It's going to come. And understand that God doesn't sleep, that he's working behind the scenes. He's putting pieces into place. And because of his permissive will, people can thwart 
what's best for them. But he doesn't stop. He's called the hound of heaven for a reason. He just never gives up. So you need to know, audience, that God is working on your behalf. If you're going through some painful experience right now, know that God is at work, and he's not done yet. And so don't give up. Mm-hmm. And you've got a big uh, class at, at your church. I've yeah. Got 41, 41 men, men. 41 men signed up that want to be better men. Yeah. yeah. You know, I train men to live lives of integrity and honor. And, you, and most of these guys are in their 30s and have young families. And That's encouraging. And It is because they're going to be... I tell them, it's not just about you men. It's about your families because what you're going through, what you have submitted to go through... And the changes that will take place, they will notice it in you before you mm-hmm. will, and it'll benefit them and anybody within your sphere of influence. Yeah, and your, and your grandkids are really nice, aren't they? <laughs> aren't they? They are. Yeah. They're just a delight to be around. They're nicer than me? <laughs> well, I, I have to think about that one, Bill. Oh, well, yeah, well, get back to me next time when you come on the show. <laughs> I will. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. Uh, go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about his powerful ministry. We'll take a short break, and hour two is Dr. Uh, Kenneth Samples. He's got a book called Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. I have no idea what that means. This will be a good hour. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.